0: okay any questions i'm ready okay (laughs) perfect Hello everybody and welcome back to Baddies Mean Business. I'm here with a very special guest. Go ahead and introduce yourself a little bit. Hi, my name is Shivy. I'm the founder and CEO
1: of Legacy. We automate advanced care planning for better patient outcomes.
0: What about us? I know, mm. don't even mention it. <laughs> but for me, if you have never been here on Baddies Mean Business, this is the podcast where I interview female founders and investors and share their stories and how they're changing the world. Me, I'm your host, Riley Jennings. Anyways, let's just get into the episode because we have so much to cover today. And I believe Chevy has been traveling the world everywhere, everywhere. (laughs) We're going to be covering a couple of different things, especially what she's doing at Legacy. But first things first, for those who have been listening for a while, you know what we do first, which is the baddie briefing. I'll walk you through it a little bit. Okay. The baddie briefing. So we talk about our quote of the week. Okay. And then we talk about our favorite of the week. It can be literally anything at all love it at all okay. and so i'll just go ahead and start just to give reference okay my quote of the week came because i had a discussion with my best friend Ooh. um Haley, and okay. she was talking about um if you're not growing you're dying mm. you know and i don't I love that, it it definitely doesn't come from her but <laughs> um i like the quote because it's like if you just stop where you are yeah like what are you doing then not really you're dying you're you're dwindling and it's kind of harsh but i kind of like it i like that too i like that too yes that's lovely what about you
1: my favorite quote so it's one that my my best friend sent me a while back i can't i don't know what the exact quote is but i'm gonna paraphrase it Mm -hmm. um if you come out softer it's because you've been loved And I know that's kind of like, where's that coming from? So I was recently, um, I spent six weeks doing the Antler VC program. Mm -hmm. And in this last six weeks in Boulder, I just felt like I was surrounded by such amazing community by just like everybody had such a deep passion for what they were working on, all these different entrepreneurs, the ability to pivot and be flexible and to just like love what you're doing and have that love be so contagious so that everybody loves what you're doing. And so I came out from it yesterday and I was just reflecting on my plane ride back to San Diego and I was like, I feel softer. I feel happier. I feel like there's a place for entrepreneurship that is really Mm community-based. And I felt that because I felt that love when I was at Antler.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, It's kind of like happened a lot because you yeah. see everybody's been like mapping out ecosystems. And for those who um, need a little more context, I work in the digital marketing space. I used to work in BC. And so the things we talk about are often revolves around startups and incubators and everything. And so... But there's just this running trend happening in VC and startups, which I'm honestly really appreciative of finding a community. So it's like there's uh, founder houses that are coming out. There's like, I'm sure there's like VC houses. There's just all these little... Like nooks and crannies of where people are trying to build communities in the ecosystem, yeah. and it sounds like you just got got one little piece of yeah. it. And so, have you been involved in other ones besides Antler VCs? So, for in a formal capacity,
1: not yet. Mm-hmm. But in informal capacities, going through to, of course, like we have so many great events here in San Diego. Um, you know, when I was uh, when I was an entrepreneur back in Boston as well, through my alma mater at Northeastern University. There's there's been so much room for community, so I'm glad that is really becoming like much more mainstream yeah because you work faster too you work better you work faster and you work with so much more of a well-rounded
0: mindset yeah I yeah. agree with that it's nice yeah. to have some other ideas especially yeah. when you're like alone you only have yeah. a couple people on your team or by yourself yeah. wherever it's kind of nice to have somebody else to talk to exactly. and like what am I doing and people
1: who get it who are like I am here with you because I am literally here with you. Like, <laughs> like I am physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually here with you because I have
0: gone through it too. Yes. So I love that. It's like emotionally bound yeah. to everyone you meet. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> okay, the next thing is our favorites of the week. Okay. And so for me, I recently watched Hunger Games and oh. I was obsessed with it again as I was when I was like in middle school. Oh. Um, And so I just loved like diving into the universe of, um, yeah. and it's re diving. Because this one particularly follows snows. Um, I don't know if you ever watched Hunger Games. I haven't. No, but I'm I'm here with you. I'm here with you. I see your passion. I know. (laughs) You see. <laughs> I'm sorry, I cannot contribute, but I'm here. <laughs> no, you're totally good. Yeah. I love movies in general, yeah. but watched *The Hunger Games*, and yeah. it was my new favorite of the week for sure. Just okay. because I felt like a kid this again. This is the new movie. That this is the new can... one. It's a prequel. <gasps> okay. Um, but it basically follows the antagonist of the okay. entire other series. It okay. follows his genesis story. Okay. Um, like what made him the way he is. Yeah. Which um, it kinda actually has the opposite effect of what you were talking about okay. because for him, love destroyed him and made him literally like. Oh antagonist of the the entire series okay and one of his like famous quotes is what um what we love the most um is what destroys us or something like that oh my god and so he brings like that opposite effect of when you don't experience love and you don't turn into your soft girl era it's him so that's (laughs) no we need him in his soft girl
1: era that's exactly (laughs) i love that i love that i might just watch that because i love those kind of like storylines where it's like you feel for the the villain the antagonist because you're mm-hmm. like i see why you are the way you are yeah yeah and it's not like this evil evil of a person it's much more nuanced yeah
0: so. it's like hard to hate hard harder to hate him but still yeah he, you still hate him He's still, but- of course yeah because you're like <laughs> it's messy yeah but, but what about you what's your favorite
1: um, okay the first thing that comes to mind is you know those little meal boxes that you get you can buy on like a plane what
0: like oh, the yeah. little snack boxes yes what airline are you
1: i was okay this is It was Frontier, but we're going to own it. And um, I just, I realized that I love just, like, sitting on an airplane, getting one of those snack boxes. Mm -hmm. And just, like, it brings me so much joy to, like, go through, okay, like, let's have this snack. And, like, it was just something that I love, which is, like, mini snacks, Uh the fact that it's all packaged in a box, and then just, like, I don't know, just, I don't know what the word is, but it makes me feel, like, so... I don't know, like I'm treating myself, you know, like I'm treating myself to a little
0: meal box. So that's my love for this week. I'm about to expose myself. It's like imagining all the movie. Like I like movies. Yeah. It's like when you see the business yeah. person in the movies yeah. and they're like business class yes. and they get the food and they get the champagne and they're like dressed nice. They're not yeah. wearing sweats or a sweatshirt yeah. on the plane. They actually dress nice because they probably came from a meeting, a meeting, you know, board meeting. Obviously. <laughs> I know that's me. That's me trying to do it with like the the meal
1: box because I'm like. I'm, I'm coming from a meeting.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm busy, <laughs> I'm booked busy. and busy. I just, I didn't have time to eat. I needed to get a, board just a little box. snack, you know, hold me over. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's get into it of though, course. having so much fun. Yeah. And so let's talk about you. Okay. Let's go back a little bit and um, what kind of led to Le- like, there's a lot that led to legacy, yeah. but let's talk about like your early day careers, but actually let's even dive deeper and like who you were before okay. you even decided a career.
1: Okay. So this is so funny because ever since I was a kid, I was very entrepreneurial. Mm-hmm. So I was like that kid that was, I don't know. I guess I would do a lot of user discovery. I remember in like fifth grade, I realized like, oh my gosh, we always ran out of candy at school store. And I don't know if you remember school store, but if if that was like a concept, but like it basically would be like this little um, store during like school time right before lunch where you would be able to buy things for like a dollar and they would always run out of the candy. And so the kids were always upset. And me, I was like, huh, opportunity. So I remember going around and asking the kids, what candy do you like? What candy do you like? And I remember everybody was like, I like sour candy. And I was like, okay, couldn't be me, but all right. And I remember going to Costco with my family, buying like that candy spray that was like the sour oh, yeah. warheads candy spray and bringing it in and I would sell it to the kids for a dollar each the Profit margins, yeah that was like <laughs> crazy margins it was like insane margins because at the end of the day like school store only happened one time every week mm-hmm. so I was providing a service that was occurring all days oh yeah and they would just know to come and ask me and I was just like oh my gosh and so I remember being very entrepreneurial since I was young and I used to take that money and I used to like give it out to charity and and donate it so for me it was like it was very much a way for me to be able to contribute to my community Mm -hmm. um and I remember that being so early so I would say that was like my first job you know what I mean and then um After that, I did the same for – I used to be really into, like, making jewelry. So I would make earrings and bracelets and necklaces. And um, I would sell those as well. And so I started, like, having these small little businesses. And then, you know, as I got older, got really into schoolwork, sports, and all that. And then when I went into college, I was doing my undergrad in computer science. And I added on uh, finance and accounting as well. So I was just really busy and was less – entrepreneurial during that time. Um but at the same time I was also an RA so I still, you know, community was still something that I was working with. Um just being able to give back, I worked for a few nonprofits while I was in um college because I knew that I had skills as a CS student that a lot of places couldn't really afford to pay for. And so I would like intern and create websites and things mm-hmm. like that for some of these nonprofit um companies. And then yeah, and then and my um Last year of uh, university, I actually started a company called Nifty, which was hyper-localized clothes rental platform. So the idea was like, how can we fight fast fashion so that everybody's not just going to Forever 21 and buying something? Like, what if we made it so hyper-localized that you could actually just, you know, hey, I need a dress tonight. And then your, you know, neighbor down the street who's maybe two houses down has something for you right? Yeah. It's like my sister's closet. Exactly. Exactly. I just go
0: over there and take a little something. Yeah.
1: You just take it because what I noticed was like women especially are really open to sharing their closets. And so I remember all my friends, we'd always be like, okay, yeah. Like, let's go. We have this, you know, holiday party or, or we have this, um, dinner to go out to here. You look in my closet. I look in yours. And so I was like, how can we scale that? Mm -hmm. And then, um, I remember like, there's this, This was back in Boston. So there's this TJ Maxx that's on Newberry Street. And I was standing outside of that TJ Maxx with this like paper prototype of what I wanted the app to be like. And then I would have these people click in and be like, oh, what are you going in to buy? Mm -hmm. Try to understand what they were trying to buy and then go and say, okay, cool. Like, what if you had an app? What if I told you I could get you that for a nicer brand, a, a more like known brand, a sustainable brand and for a fraction of the cost? Mm -hmm. And then that's kind of how I started doing my customer discovery and and got people to join the wait list. Then I was like, after we built out an MVP, I basically went around on my bike, like delivering clothes, like Uh from one place to another. And so it was like, that was my, I would say, my very, very, very like entrance into like deep entrepreneurship. Um, So that was really great. And then put my head down, was a software engineer for the last six years. And then now we're back we're back in the entrepreneurial
0: game yeah and so what made you stop nifty in that moment where you're like what how did you like imagine your future at that point yeah. you know i kind of was at a fork because i had two choices
1: either i continue on with nifty follow this passion of mine or i put my head down i get really really technical and i do this again entrepreneurship a few years later but with the technical skill and i was doing i like literally remember my pro con list and i just felt like. Ah, uh, so much love for nifty but I felt it was just a little too early mm-hmm. and I think my gut was right because now when we see secondhand shopping and vintage clothes and thrift shopping it's so much more mainstream than it was six seven years ago No, truly. so you know I don't regret the decision I made because I think my technical skill has gotten me so many opportunities that I never would have thought but it did make me realize that like you know, I could always go back to Nifty. That was like, you know, in my opinion, such a viable idea. And, um, and you know, who knows? Might go back to it uh, sometime down the road because fast fashion is still a big problem. But, um, but yeah, staying technical and remaining that way really helped me changed the way that I think, mm-hmm. and then also really gave me the stability that I needed so that I can take a risk now to mm-hmm. really go all in on my my company.
0: Yeah. And so what you, after college, mm-hmm. you went on and started your career. Mm-hmm. And so where did you go from there?
1: Yeah. So I, my first job out of college was at Intuit. I worked on the team um, at TurboTax Live. So we made like the whole proof of concept for what if people actually wanted help with their taxes or needed somebody to do it with them or for them so that was a really great opportunity i was there for 4 years um worked my way up to senior engineer and um and then i left to go join clickup which is a productivity tool and uh, i click- ClickUp, yeah
0: we're local san diego yeah. yeah we love
1: san diego company and then um clickup i learned um a lot more about full stack uh full stack development um i had to do front end work which i was not used to because i was a back end engineer um but also like Being working at a remote company or a company that's kind of like primarily remote was really interesting to understand like the type of communication documentation that you need to do. Um, but also working at a smaller company was really great because you just it's a different way of thinking and decision making than when you're at a bigger company. And even though when I was at Intuit, I was working on a, you know, TurboTax Live was a very, very small component of it at the time. It was, you know, a startup y feel. But it was very much in with like the big pockets, the big uh, kind of stability of Intuit. And then going to ClickUp, it was like, okay, this is a smaller company, not completely small, but like smaller than before. And that was kind of my goal was like, if I go to a smaller company, I was engineer number 60 at ClickUp. And um, if I go to a smaller company, what I wanted to do was be able to wear many hats. And Mm -hmm. I got to do that where, you know, doing software architecture doing the actual execution doing the you know the test work doing some of the deployment and sre work so having that complete full stack insight was really interesting
0: yeah and which one did you prefer more Is like that smaller field and a bigger field i think it's different i think
1: when you're in different parts of your life you prefer one over the other i know that's like such a cop-out answer but like i'm l- like literally thinking about it and i'm like When I was at Intuit, I needed stability because I wanted to grow and learn. I wanted to take what I learned from like the conceptual stuff in school and apply it. And the only way you can kind of really do that in a a more, I guess, concrete way is through a large company that can offer you the training and the practice and the mentorship. So that really worked for me. And that's what I needed at the time. And when I went to ClickUp, it was like, I want to just like free fall a little bit a little bit more than what I was doing before. And I got to, and it was really great being on like the hook for so many things and being able to say like, all right, I own this completely. Mm -hmm. Like if I don't do a certain part of this, this functionality will not go out at all. Yeah. That was like a different type of, um, of accountability. Yeah. Accountability. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. And then what led to legacy? Yeah. So
1: legacy has just been on in the back of my mind. So the idea itself, um, I had gone through, so my father passed away when I was 17, and he was 48. So it was like, I know what it's like to be on the other side of like, having to pick up the pieces when someone passes away. And I wanted to create a tool that would make that easier for people. Mm -hmm. And I think as I grew into my 20s, I realized my story wasn't unique, that a lot of people had either gone through that with you know, with some loved one or someone that they really care deeply about. And they were often stuck with the same question, which is like, I didn't know all of this had to be done. Like, how would I have known, mm-hmm. you know? And so that's when um, I realized that, okay, there seems to be something here. How can I use my tech knowledge and my experience and, and abilities for to create something that can help families, reduce the stress, create a better uh, better outcome? and make it proactive. So that's kind of where the idea for Legacy came from. Um, after doing this Antler program, I pivoted. Oh, yeah. this so, is new to me. Yeah. yeah. So um, when I first came in, it was like, OK, Legacy is auto- automated end of life planning as a corporate benefit. So imagine you're working at a company. You get this corporate benefit. Mm. We help you with your trust, your wills, your uh, you know burial, your funeral rights, your medical proxies, power of attorneys, everything. Um, but now, what I was finding when I was going through and doing user discovery was, I felt like okay, there's two parties to this. There's the buyers who are the people who are going to actually purchase this, and then there's the users. So the buyers were like ready to line up. It was benefits brokers, uh, employers who were like, yes, we want to offer something new to our uh, to our employees, give them a more well-rounded offering when it comes to their uh, when it comes to their um, to their whole compensation of benefit uh benefit part of their compensation and but then when i was sitting and talking to users they were like oh this is so cool i'm so glad something like this exists but there was just like this chasm between hey this is cool and then actually executing Mm -hmm. so i kept seeing that over and over and over again and then the only time i didn't see that was when i actually was working and interviewing um women who were six to eight months pregnant or one year after delivery Oh. And I was like, interesting. Their chasm to execution. They were like, oh, my God, this is so cool. Like, I want to use this. And then they actually are ready to use it. You know, mm-hmm. they're ready to like give over the credit card. They're ready to just get on it. Yes. And I was like, wow, OK, that's interesting. And something I heard from them that they kept saying over and over again was like, this is something I wish my doctor talked to me about. Yeah. And I was like, okay, okay. So I started talking to MDs, to health plan um, administrators. And that's when I realized like, this is the space where legacy is no longer a vitamin. It starts to become an aspirin. It's really, really helping a pain point. And that pain point is the fact that we in our American healthcare system do not really focus on advanced care planning. And advanced care planning is essentially having the person or having the the documentation to show that this is the person that I want making decisions for me should I be in a certain state where I can't but also what I want for my body and my well-being and my spirit and my healthcare, if I'm ever in situations where I can't have a say so it's like that ended up kind of being a really clear path for me and I was just like okay this is great because at the end of the day like our healthcare system is very, very bloated. And one of the reasons it's bloated is because, you know, aside from um, a lot of places being a fee, having a fee for use structure or or basically not being value-based care, Mm -hmm. we are constantly pushing medical interventions on people because we want to keep them alive, right? Mm -hmm. Which is 100% reasonable. That is the oath doctors take. That is how hospitals work. But at the end of the day, it's like some 87% of people would prefer to just die with quality of life. Mm -hmm. And so how do you bridge that gap between most people would prefer not to go through certain um, clinical interventions, but rather just die in their home or die in peace, not in the hospital, Um, and then also With the fact that like you know hospitals and doctors they have a different ethos they need to keep you alive right so how can we bridge that gap and the gap is through advanced care planning so if you have that written down if you have those decisions ready to to go then you as the patient get to have a say in your care Mm -hmm. down the line
0: so that's the direction that i'm going into now and there's like a lot of layers to that Mm -hmm. but what i think about and from experience with yeah. it is um i'll just like briefly say yeah. is like when i experienced my traumatic brain injury back yeah. in high school it's like completely unplanned yeah. no idea i'm 17 yeah. i wasn't planning anything extraneous to happen to my health yeah. as many other people experience as well and so i always think about the fact that I'm like it was my parents that had to make these huge yeah. large decisions with my their my life is technically always in their hands but yeah. my life was genuinely in their hands yeah. in that case and I just can't even imagine putting myself into that scenario yeah. and understanding what those steps would be. Yeah. And th- my mom luckily had experience with hospitals from my grandpa having a stroke yeah. like 10 years prior yeah. and having a whole long extraneous process through that because yeah. he was still with us afterwards. Um. But thinking about that, well, as a young person, of course, like it's kind of inconceivable yeah. thinking about that yeah. and making decisions for their parents and yeah. all of that is just very – I can't even, I don't even know where to start. Yeah, exactly. And that's
1: like, and that's the whole idea. So my vision is like, you know, what if we had these conversations? Like right now, doctors, they want to have these conversations. They know it's the right conversation to have when it comes to advanced care planning. But it's just time. It's like, how do you, how do you actually have this conversation in like a, you know, a warm way, not just like a dry clinical way. Mm -hmm. And how do you actually get people to complete? This type of work, right? So that's what I'm working with right now is trying to, um, you know, work with medical professionals, with health plans, with clinics to be like, okay, let me understand how this actually works right now and let me go in and try to replace this with legacy. How, what do you think of it? And the other thing that I really want is for this data to be very patient-centric. So right now, if you're a patient, you've ever been in a hospital system, a lot of the the information is stuck in the EMR, the electronic medical record mm-hmm. system, right? It's it's stuck in there. You don't really have access to it. And unless you go and ask, in which case you might go through a almost like a little bu- uh, bureaucracy of getting that data back. But what if we actually started making patient data available to patients? So that's kind of what the idea behind Legacy is, is like want to make sure that the decisions are always in the patient hands. And the long-term vision mm-hmm. is like, We have the data that around what patients want, what they value, what they care about. Now, can we create a feedback loop that feeds into the treatments that doctors provide for each uh, patient to have really customized patient centric care? Mm -hmm. Because right now, like the doctors and clinicians, they do what they do best, which is taking care of people and providing medicine. Right. But something we don't really have in our healthcare system ra- right now, which is kind of the direction that we're going towards is like, how do we also have the patient say in all of that? And yeah, so that's essentially the longer term vision of of Legacy, but it seems like a, a place,
0: yeah. What's amazing about this is yeah. that this isn't about sharing the stories after they're complete, it's sharing it genuinely as it's happening yeah. in real time. Like you just got back in San Diego from the antler program. <laughs> yesterday <laughs> yeah
1: <laughs> yeah yeah exactly we out here we think and we're thinking, we're we're thinking. thinking. Yeah. But that's what
0: i love because it's like oftentimes you hear the stories after they're done yeah. and it's like well what happened in between and it's easy to forget the steps that had yeah. happened because it's like who's going to remember the traumatic steps that they yeah. had to go through exactly
1: but these are the steps it's like by going through these steps and then like you know whether it's like dead end or oh my gosh another path like this is how businesses are born, right? Mm -hmm. This is how they're created and this is how they sustain is because they have the ability to be like, hey, look, I'm going to keep exploring this. Okay, cool. We hit a dead end. Let's explore another path. Or, okay, I'm exploring this. It's getting deeper and deeper and deeper. And let's see if this is actually the direction we want to go. So it's almost like, yeah, yeah, it's crazy. You're right, actually. You rarely hear about the, like, in the trenches, but it's it's so interesting because i think as entrepreneurs we're often like always thinking Mm -hmm. and there's always something there's always something like you're so obsessed with this that you don't realize how often you're thinking about it until you're like doing something or you're talking about it and you're like oh my god I literally just had this thought three seconds ago and now I'm talking about it. Like it's, mm-hmm. you know, one of those things.
0: And I'm a huge believer in like everything we do in life <laughs> is all about building our own perspectives. Yeah. And that's kind of why I love podcasting so much. It's like yeah. you, I organically get to develop my perspective just by sitting down yeah. here and hearing from you. And but hearing from you in this time period in your life after what you've accomplished is a big contributor to what you're even going to say in the first place. What yeah. you're going to say in ten years from now is not going to be what you're saying oh, no. right now. But what's that's kind of beautiful too. Yeah, a hundred percent. It's going to be so fun to
1: like listen back on this and be like, oh my gosh, like that was amazing. Mm-hmm. You know, it looks so different. It now. looks like so different know. now. Like exactly. It's like when you go back and you like watch a video of yourself when you were younger, and you're like, oh my god, I can't believe like. I thought that or I was so wise or I was so silly, so naive, you know, like you, you're just always so surprised and you're like, that was me though. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's like, that is why I'm the way I am now and where legacy is right now is where is the direct correlation into where legacy is going to go in the future. Mm-hmm. You're yeah.
0: like developing a legacy yeah. as Yeah. As in,
1: there we go. Legacy on legacy. Yeah. Legacy on legacy. <laughs> legacy
0: is your legacy. Yeah. <laughs> Love it. Yeah. Amazing. Well, what is like one of the most helpful things that, um, for you in your journey so far, just so other people can kind of understand what kind of, what steps they could take just to know where to go or what yeah. to do, you know? Um, and so I think being relentless is
1: such a huge part of the process because, and that's something that you can like innately have, but also something you can learn. So I think that like people, when you want something, you're practicing being relentless, right? Mm-hmm. And so just having that ability to be like, okay, I want this. I know that there's some kind of pattern that I've seen here how do I either disprove this or prove it, right? And then you be relentless. So You get that data. You try to find the, uh, the rationale, the reasoning. And if it's not right out there in front of you, you have to be relentless in pursuing the fact that this is not the right direction, mm-hmm. you know?
0: Or ask the right person or ask people. Yes, exactly. The, and ask around. Yeah.
1: And so it's all about like knowing like, okay, one, you need to have a little bit of like a speck of an idea of where you need to go. And then- by being relentless, you really just create that trail and it's not going to be straight. It's going to be like all over the place. And then you're going to get to where you need to go. And you're going to be like, huh? Okay. Funny how I got here, but we out here. So yes. yeah. And I
0: don't know if you've seen this video, because, but there's a video that's came out pretty recently where yeah. it was like, I think it's in Japan where yeah. they're like mapping out How fungi travel through certain? Did you see that? Yeah, yeah. And they used it to as like biomimicry to develop develop their railways or like their public transportation. And they gave them their literal map at that point. That's kind of what what you just said reminded me of. Is like you can't see it to your eye, but sometimes it finds. It takes like it just takes like time yeah, to really see how the paths form. Exactly. It takes
1: time. And then it takes that for like that forging. And I love that you brought up that fungi because that fungi, if you watch that video, it's always moving. Mm-hmm. It's, it's like, it's going this way and that way and this way and that way. It doesn't stop moving. Mm-hmm. Just similar to what you mentioned earlier about your favorite quote, which is like, yeah, you have to keep growing in that direction. And then like, you have to be able to execute. So that relentlessness is what makes, I think entrepreneurs really successful is like, you don't quit. You don't quit. You just keep. You going. keep going, and right when you think you're about to quit, you're like, "Oh my gosh, no!" I see it again, and then you keep going and you keep going, and that's why I think like the best entrepreneurs we look up to, the best business owners, the the best people who are who are running things, are the ones who, who know in deep in their heart, there's something here, and I'm not going to stop at any.
0: At any point until I get there, hundred mm-hmm, yeah. percent and as we're kind of getting towards the end of this episode, what is like one thing about yourself that you don't often get to share with others mm-hmm. but you wish everybody knew about you? ooh, I feel like
1: that's a good question because i'm quite I'm quite open, you know what I mean like, but I think um, take your time, yeah, I think this is so funny because you know when I was spending the last six weeks in Boulder, um, I, I'm i a very extroverted person. Like even when I take my like Myers-Briggs, I'm like a 73% on extroversion. Like mm-hmm. it's huge. But I love just being alone. I like sitting in my thoughts. I And I think, you know, it takes years to cultivate that. But like, I just like being by myself and really enjoying my own company. So I think that like, there's often a stereotype that ex- extroverted people get. And, um, and not that it's good or bad. It's just like that stereotype. That you always want to be around people. You love people, blah, blah, blah. And I do love people. I do. And I love being around people. And I love learning about them and having these like bonds, deeper bonds. But at the same time, I could just sit alone by myself for days and just just think think and just yeah. think and think about everything you
0: know there's one thing about me yeah. and my friends sometimes like poke fun at it is i don't really listen to music in yeah. the car at all sometimes i sit in just silence because okay. my my head is enough for me yeah, sometimes exactly and you're just like thinking and it's like
1: it's not even like you're overthinking you're like, I'm just like having a conversation with myself honestly yeah it's
0: really there's a dialogue happening there's in a dialogue. here if I look like I'm staring in space no I'm having a conversation a, hello I'm talking to somebody <laughs> yeah sometimes you're your you are your best company sometimes yeah. you are your worst enemy yeah. you, never know. you never know okay so the very last thing we'll do here today and I'll Give you one last opportunity to share your closing thoughts, but there is a brand new segment mm. that I want to introduce to the podcast, and you're gonna help me do it. It is called Unpopular Opinions. Okay. 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 So what I'm gonna do is I actually went to Reddit okay. and I looked up unpopular opinions and I chose a few of them. And okay. what we're gonna do is I'm gonna read it off to you, and then we're just gonna share our thoughts on it. Okay, sounds yeah. good. Yeah, and we'll make it real quick. We can get it done in like five minutes. Okay. Let's do her. Um, okay. So, first things first, we'll start off with a kind of funny goofy one. Okay. So, unpopular opinion. Zoos are not inherently immoral. Hmm. I have a very niche thought on this because I actually have I refuse to go back to zoos. Okay. Um, I recently did go to SeaWorld though, um for the first time in years, How but was basically my entire thoughts on like zoos and like, yeah. the, um animals in captivity is one time i went to when i was working in nashville i used to work in nashville as yeah. a saleswoman yeah um we went to a zoo in tennessee and it's like blistering hot it's in the summertime and <sighs> we saw a bunch of exotic animals in these outdoor cages yeah. none of them moved they were all extremely dormant because of like just it's i think just it's just hot. how hot it yeah. was and after that experience i was I refuse to go back to a zoo. Yeah. And so I've never been to the San Diego zoo. Yeah. I've never been able to do it. And I know some zoos are more ethical than mm. others, but I just can't shake the thought of like how animals are like when they're free versus yeah. in a captivity. Like, that. yeah. So I don't know. I think they, I, it's hard to accept them sometimes for me. Yeah. No, I,
1: I agree with you. I, I do think in terms of immorality, I'd say it's, you know, obviously, morality is a gray area for most things but like for me I think if you're taking care of like sick animals or like animals Mm -hmm. that were kind of like left behind and then taking care of them recuperating them Mm -hmm. and then you know maybe they're they get a little bit too like quote-unquote domesticated to go back into the wild I think that could be a use case where I'm like hey then it's okay to keep them in the zoo as long as they're being fed and taken care of Mm -hmm. have the right ecosystem all that that but then at the same time I'm like I feel like planet earth is enough you know what I mean like (laughs) I feel like let's just watch a David Attenborough like let's chill like I feel like I see so much more Uh than um if I go you know to the zoo or something because I'm like these this is insane that we get all this footage but like it's really really cool to see the animals and I think that's like why zoos kind of came about was like how do we show people that like there's more to the world than just humans yeah and I think if we are like following that thread I can see why zoos became what they did but at the same time like you know is there a need for that now given the technology we have where we can just like have a drone follow like a herd of zebras you know mm-hmm. and yeah, still that's zoos. a meta thinking right there yeah <laughs> Some we're thinking, we're
0: thinking out here. Thinking. All this thinking overwhelming. <laughs> I agree with your point yeah. though. Like yeah. I could accept because I understand rehabilitation yeah. of animals and yeah. they just do need like a little bit of assistance in certain cases. Yeah. I agree with that hundred percent. But it's also you just got to trust that like humans will make the yeah. decent decisions and their yeah. in regards to the animals in that case. Yeah. Never thought I'd be answering a question like that on the pod. So thank you, Reddit. Yes. Yes. Okay. This next one I'm interested in. Okay. So this one's from, um, not Lenny Bruce. Okay. So unpopular opinion. Hating small talk is a sign of poor social skills.
1: Okay. I don't like small talk at all. I don't like small talk. Yeah, but I will say, I don't think neither of us has poor social skills. I
0: don't think so either. Wait, let me read that again. Yeah. It's to say hating small talk is a sign of poor social skills. I'll read a little bit into it. It's okay if your distaste is situational, e.g., which I don't even know what that means. Like example. Okay, got it. You're taking public transport or in a doctor's waiting room, but if you hate small talk on principle, you're probably socially inept. Okay. I think I think it's I understand what they're trying to say. So there's two sides to this coin in my eyes. So just general small talk when you're like meeting new people and you can't necessarily come up with like deeper topics to talk about but you're actually trying to build a connection with somebody. Mm -hmm. I think that's when it's not so acceptable. Like you come on like let's dig deeper into like actually who this person is. (laughs) Football whether it'll be there when it be there. But I think part of the context that this person's trying to provide is when you are like in just a public setting and there's people around you rather than ignoring you Mm -hmm. them you actually like crack up some conversations and that's i think what they're trying to say i see so i see both sides of that i okay yeah yeah i think though i mean i i don't know
1: about you but i also find i still struggle even if like i mean i have such a rep with my friends like they're always like okay like all right. If there's like a deep question, they're like, okay, I know should be asked that question because they're like, <laughs> they're always like, yeah. Okay. Um, but for me, I'm like, I think that the best conversations, like, even if I ask people, like if I'm out in public and I, you know, maybe have like a downtime, some downtime and I'll be like, oh, okay. Like, you know, there's a family with kids. I'll be like, oh yeah. Like, How old are your kids? And like go in it like that. And then like just like start having these conversations about like, oh, tell me more about like how your kids are. Do you see yourself in them? Like blah, blah, blah. Like those kind of things. And I don't know why, but people seem really receptive to it. And especially I will say the weirdest thing is the deepest conversations I've had have always been on the airplane. Where you would think is like the most shallow, superficial conversation, Mm -hmm. right? But the deepest conversations I've had have been on the airplane. Why pay
0: for therapy when you just book a flight? Just
1: book (laughs) flights, talk to a stranger, and then never see them again. Like (laughs)
0: Never see them again. It's like the perfect formula right there. (laughs) But that's so true, though. And sometimes you have like the deepest conversations with the people that you know you're never going to meet again. Because you never really have to... I further explain it or anything yeah. as well so I kind of see that side of the coin as yeah. well interesting oh, that's, that's a good one that is good let me see okay we'll do one last one and this one's interesting let's see someone else is okay okay unpopular opinion this one's from dry underscore fueled underscore nine two one six okay being street smart and book smart are both equally important
1: yeah I think that's true
0: I would agree with that some okay I agree with it for the most part except for also I think there are outliers so it's like there's just some people who naturally are just more street smart Mm -hmm. I feel like I don't think I'm not book smart but I never thought of myself as a book smart person but I don't Mm. think I'm not book smart like I've been in the advanced classes I took in the hard classes yeah always run in the middle range within those classes if that but And so I always put myself as like a street smart person. Yeah, I see. But I don't know. I think it's very hard to say most people are book smart and street smart, though. I think everyone has their own. I I agree. I think
1: like, yeah, there's a balance. But I think the more balanced you are, the more it just turns into common sense. And I think common sense is hard to find. You know what I mean? (laughs) So it's like, it's like, because I was very much like, Not street smart, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like I was very naive, didn't know how to play the game, you know. And but very book smart, Mm -hmm. and so very high on that. But the second I started learning street smarts, which in my opinion are like being able to like understand other people, their mo, and being able to like know how that plays out for you. Social cues, social cues, that kind of stuff. Like being able to know, like, I I mean, I don't mean this in a negative way, like, but literally when to play the game and when Mm -hmm. not to is like. That, to me, I feel like when I learned about that was how I became even boosted. Like, I was like, oh, my God, and why? Because now all of a sudden I have an application for my sense, right? So now I have common sense. And so I really do think having a good balance of those really helps people but you need to have both, for sure. Yes, you do yeah. need both. Like,
0: yeah. I think there's... So when it comes to book smarts, it's, like, a very methodical and, like, it ties into logic, I think, a lot more sometimes. Yeah. Um, and, like, I think of book smart as, like, numbers and data and inputs yeah. and then creating, like, the designated output that was yeah. like planned for it like a lot of discipline a lot yeah. of like rigor that kind of side of stuff yeah yeah well, even when it comes to like studying english and literature yeah. major- majors i feel like it does take a lot of street smart yeah. to like really excel in those yeah. certain studies because you have so. to know
1: that how it's applied yes yeah. Yeah. So it's like it's super abstract and yeah. so
0: Love it. so fun shivy thank you so much for joining okay. the pod today okay. it was so much fun and so how can people find you on the internet and then do you have any closing thoughts yeah, so
1: um, the website that I have up right now is called Legacy, the app. You can find me on LinkedIn. That is my only social media. Mm-hmm. So I'm Shivanjali Singh, which is my full name. And um, yeah, I think closing thoughts, amazing talking with you as always, right? As always. As always. Mm-hmm. And, um, and yeah, I think if you, to the, to the listeners out there, mm-hmm. if you just... No, you're meant to create something make a difference take the risk this is your sign to take the risk that's all that's all i gotta
0: this say. is your sign to do something it's yeah. november of 2023 we're about to start 2024 20? oh what is like yeah. that one thing that you're like what's that one goal in 2024 that you're just like <sighs> yeah. it's gonna keep you up at night you're gonna think about it in the car silently without any music you're <laughs> what is that one thing in your head right now I think learning
1: how to really build a business. Like mm-hmm. you you think it you read the books, like I mean, this is going back to my book smartness, right? Like you read the books, you follow the right blogs, you know what it takes, but then when you're in it, uh-huh. you're like, Oh man, I'm just scratching the surface. I don't
0: know what I, it's like, Yeah. I don't know, but I'm just going. I'm just
1: going. Like you're paving so much of your own path because It's one of those situations where it's like everything you listen to and everything you hear, probably looking back, you know, a few months, a few years from now, I'll be like, oh yeah, that advice makes sense. But when you're in it, you really have to tailor it for you. Mm -hmm. And so you're like, okay, how can I take this piece of advice, go back to like maybe three layers before it became as full-fledged as it is now and apply that to myself. True. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So that i think i'm um, my thing for 2024 is like how do you really run a business as me yeah. as shivi how do
0: I really run a business? I'm excited for yeah. you. And I'm excited yeah. that I caught you at this time period too so yeah. then we can reflect on this. I know we we're <laughs> reflecting. Yeah. You know, we have a little girls and goals uh, thing scheduled yeah. for next month. <laughs> I totally sent you that request without even like giving you But I was context. here with you. I was like, I know exactly what this I is going to be. The girlies are out. The girlies are outside the of are are out. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So thank you so much for joining. Uh-huh. For those who have never listened to before or listened to Baddies Mean Business before, please give a follow on instagram linkedin um not so much twitter sorry guys sorry tech twitter i'm not on twitter so much but you can also watch this full episode on youtube if you're listening currently and it should be available will episodes come out every sunday but anyways thank you Shivi, so much for joining and i'll talk to you all next week thank you riley ah!